0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side, foul ground, playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. What a week for the Cleveland Indians. And, boy, it was just completely the opposite for the Cincinnati Reds this past week. Good afternoon, or I should say good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Of course, we get together and talk every Monday night about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And, of course, to do that, we've got to bring in our resident Reds expert,
1: Mark Donahue. Mark,
0: lately what's been more exciting, the eclipse or the
1: Reds? Well, given how the eclipse, at least here in the Dayton area, was kind of, in my opinion, kind of a bust, I'd I'd say even the Reds were more exciting than the overhyped eclipse. I I, I don't know where you guys are listening from, but here in Dayton, uh, had I not known there was supposed to be an eclipse, I wouldn't have noticed. So at least the Reds won a few games this week, so I'd have to give the edge to the Reds, which is is not normal. You
0: know, I was downtown Cincinnati this afternoon when the eclipse hit, and I had one lady ask me this morning, you know, I told her I was around for the last eclipse in 1979. She goes, well, what did it look like? And I said, <laughs> and like a thunderstorm was coming in. You know, I mean, nothing nothing great. That's pretty much what it looked like today, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it was, I thought it was much ado about nothing, but maybe people in different parts of the country saw something differently we we only had an 88% coverage here in the Dayton area so but that 12% certainly threw out a lot of sunlight so it didn't it didn't appear very dark here
0: and by the way mark i got a chance to go by where old crosley field was downtown i never knew where it was located and i was driving oh, really? around yeah i was i was driving around 4th and 6th street looking for a sporting goods store that i had to go to and I got to one corner and it said, site of old Crosley Field, right on one of the electric poles. That was the only thing I knew. And I, and I looked at it and you could, you wouldn't even believe that there was a ball field there.
1: Oh, I know. It's completely built up down there now. It's, uh, yeah, I remember spending many <clears throat> happy afternoon when I was growing up, uh, going down to Crosley Field, hitchhiking down from from I lived in Kettering, Ohio, and I would get on I-75 and I would hitchhike. And uh, on a good day, I'd be able to take five dollars with me, and that's from mowing some lawns. And I would be able to go into the ball game, sit in the sun deck. I, I remember this vividly. I could afford two hot dogs, a coke, and a soft pretzel, and for five dollars, that was all I, I could get. You know, hot dogs were a buck a piece, and the coke was probably fifty cents and I came home with change in my pocket uh, and hitchhiked back. <laughs> and I did that. I probably did that ten or twelve times in my life. And I remember the first time I did it. I think I was. I think it was nine or ten years old. And I, 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 was, I wanted to go to the ball game, and my parents wouldn't take me. So I decided, okay, I'll just hitchhike. <laughs> I mean, I what an idiot! <laughs> but, but your parents but I remember would the be turned into $5. children's
0: services now.
1: I know that's right. That's right. <laughs> you you literally hitchhiked. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hitchhiked and I hitchhiked back. And it was, you know, something I did I did frequently. I mean, I I I think the last time I did it, I must have been 14 or something. And another time I did it, um I had a moped. I got a moped when I was I think 14. And I drove my moped from from Catherin, or actually I lived in North Dayton then, and I took all back roads. It Took me about two hours to go down to Cincinnati, and then when I got down there, uh, I h- had some kid who, or no, some gentleman who was selling peanuts. Uh, I gave him fifty cents or something to watch my moped while I went into the ball game, <laughs> and then drove uh, it back. I mean, the it, it was entrepreneur, all, day, all day, you were. I know, geez. She,
0: that, please tell me that's not how you met your wife.
1: She no, no. I you met up while
0: you were hitchhiking.
1: <laughs> I met her at a dance, actually, but uh, no.
0: <laughs> after you got done hitchhiking.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. Well. All right. So you hitchhiked your way into Reds, Reds fandom. You know, I I had the opportunity of becoming an Indians fan after I was a Reds fan, but I didn't hitchhike from Northeast Ohio or Northwest Ohio, I should say. All the way down to Cincinnati or all the way over to Cleveland. <clears throat> that, that didn't happen with me. But, still became, still became a baseball fan. So, alright, tell us a little bit about what happened with the Reds this past week, Mark, and then I can get into gloating about what the Indians did on their last road trip.
1: Deb, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? You were breaking up a little bit.
0: I said, tell us a little bit about what happened with the Reds this week, and then I can, Get into gloating about what the Indians did this past week.
1: Well, I know the Indians were what eight and two or some crazy thing like that over the last ten games. On so the they road, had, to, had really good week. Uh, the Reds didn't have a great week. For the Reds, it wasn't a bad week. They split. They split with the Cubs two and two. It actually should have won another game there, and they won uh, two out of three over the weekend um, against Atlanta. So for the Reds, that's a red letter week. I know it it bores Indian fans to consider playing, you know, 500 or a little above 500, but uh, you know we have to take our victories where we can when we're Reds fans.
0: You know, one thing about I want to talk about the Chicago series because I thought that was a, a really good series for the Reds. They they managed to come back in a couple of ball games and split with the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And we talked about this last week, that this was a big series for the Reds, not so much to get back into the race, but just to prove to themselves that they could compete with a team like Chicago. And, Mark, they did it in Wrigley Field.
1: Yeah, they did. And that that game that they lost on a wild pitch, I mean, they they, they had a real good chance to win that game, and they didn't. Uh, The only game they got blown out was the first game. But, you know, I was looking at at the Reds' statistics, and and we've been talking all year about how good the Cleveland starting pitchers are, and there's no question about that. They they, they are probably, if not the best, one of the best staffs in baseball. So I looked at the Reds' starting staff by comparison, and we've been talking all year, I mean, how many pitchers currently on the Reds' 12-man pitching staff could actually make it either starting or, or as a bullpen, uh, a relief pitcher, could actually make the Indian staff, and I think you and I agree, only Iglesias would be in addition to the Indian staff. I don't know who you'd cut, but he, he's pretty good. But I looked at the 12 starting pitchers for the Reds this year. Castillo, Finnegan, Feldman, Adelman, Romano, Steven, Stevens, Stevenson, Reed, Arroyo, Garrett, Davis, and Bailey collectively now that's these are all the guys who have started a game for the Reds nobody has a winning record not one they are collectively 32 and 54 as they're 22 games under 500 as a starting staff their ERA is 648 as a starting rotation that is that is in rarefied air as the worst pitching staff of all time, not just for the Reds, but in Major League Baseball history. So you're not going to win many games. But you brought something up last week that I thought was uh, interesting in that you said, well, the Reds are only at the time, I think, 12 or 13 games out of first place. And I started thinking, you know what? (laughs) If the Reds' front office had gone out and gotten pitchers that were just 500 pitchers, not winners just 500 pitchers the reds would have a, they would be in contention i'm not talking about signing a major free agent i'm talking about somebody who could win 7 and lose 7 or you know win 6 and lose 6 they didn't even do that and with the reds they're in, you know i think they're leading the league in home runs now they're they're in the top 3 in runs scored they they play great defense they've got a good bullpen you're telling me they couldn't go out and find a half a dozen pitchers that would be options to pitch at least 500 baseball? That That's just criminal, what they did. And the Reds had a chance to be in the contention right now. Have they gone out and spent a little bit of money in the free agent market?
0: Well, and, and they didn't do it. They kept waiting for Homer Bailey to come back. DiSclefani, of course, who knows when he'll be back, and they they. Pin their hopes, Mark, on the Bronson Arroyos, on the Adlemans of the world. Uh, Drew Storen, I mean, he, what an outing he had yesterday.
1: Well, did you see what Blake did over the last two outings with him? No. The, the last nine men he has faced have gotten hits. and uh, the, he's, This is nine men in a row have gotten hits, and they've scored nine runs. Wow. He's faced nine batters. Everyone has gotten a hit, and everyone has scored. That's in two separate relief appearances.
0: Unbelievable!
1: I I could do that. You could do that. Anybody who's listening could do that. You could not do worse than that. And this guy has been on this. He's been on the relief corps for the last two years, and they keep going to the well. <laughs> I I don't get it. And Storn yesterday, he was throwing lollipops up there. And you know, a, a good team is is gonna hit him, but Atlanta's not a good team and they still hit him.
0: Well here's the question, Mark. They had an eight nothing lead yesterday, Atlanta did. And then they did that was after six or five innings. They didn't score another run. The Reds ended up losing eight to one, but the bullpen came in and shut them out after Storin had left the ball game. Was it the Reds bullpen? That stopped Atlanta or did Atlanta just stop themselves?
1: Well Edelman came in and pitched he pitched good ball. I think he pitched three in the third innings after Storm gave up uh, the four runs or five whatever he gave up, six runs I guess he gave up, uh in one inning. And uh, so Edelman came in and ate some innings for the Reds. But Adelman's five and ten with a five twenty three ERA. And that's after he threw three scoreless innings yesterday. Uh, even Feldman, he's supposed to be their number one starter. He's seven and seven with a 477 ERA. There, there's just nobody who can pitch on this team. Castillo, who's, he's the great hope for next year, and I think he's got a terrific arm, uh, but he's two and six with a 345 ERA. And he's the guy that could be our number one starter next year. Two and six, 345 ERA.
0: <clears throat> Who is the starting rotation next year right now?
1: Well, it, it, that's assuming that uh, Decent Plafani comes back, and, and it, it is not impossible. This guy's career is over, and I'm not paying uh, Melodramatic here. He's had three surgeries now this year, or, or over the last 12 months. It, it, you don't come back from that uh, without something going completely in your arm. You just don't. So if you look at D Stefani as a maybe, you'd have to put Homer Bailey in as a maybe as well because right now Homer Bailey is 4 and 6 with an 8.44 ERA. Now you're telling me you're going to put hopes in that guy going into next year? I mean, if he was, if he was a rookie, Dave, he'd be back in A ball. Because his he, he th- his stuff just isn't there. So if the question is, who are you going to depend on next year to start for the Reds? Well, I would bet they would say Homer Bailey, uh, Adelman, or uh, I mean... Feldman? Um,
0: uh, Castillo. Castillo.
1: Castillo would be a guy. And then DiSplafani would be a guy. Uh, Sal Romano? I don't know. He's 3-5 and five with a 5.32 ERA. Yeah, but when, uh, he's,
0: when he's looked good, he's looked good.
1: Yeah, his last outing was very good, but he he's... Pitching against the last place ball club in Atlanta, he he had a good game against them. But even after that outing, he still got a five and a half ERA.
0: Was it Castillo or Romano that pitched very well against
1: the Cubs? Uh, I think it was Castillo. uh, Let me see. No, I don't think either one of them pitched against the Cubs.
0: Well, I mean, no, I'm talking about this year. They're they're one of them
1: pitched very well against the Cubs. Yeah. yeah, that was Castillo. And, again, he, he, this kid just came up from, from AA, so you have to give him some slack. Uh, but he's, he's not lights out. He's been effective. Relative to the rest of the staff, I think he's been very, very good. But you have to look next year, back to your original question, you've got Castillo, Finnegan, Romano, uh, Robert Stevenson, and, and Homer Bailey, and, and then Stefani. I mean, those are six guys that I would say are at the top of the list. Each one of them has a losing record and an ERA, with the ex- exception of Castillo, near six or above. So if you're holding out hope for next year in 2018, you were going to compete, you're not going to compete with that pitching staff. It's not going to happen. And the injuries have, have just decimated this team. But what's scary, Dave, is you have Amir Garrett, who's getting hammered in AAA. Uh, you have Cody Reed, who's getting hammered in AAA. And
0: they're and left-handed.
1: These, they're left-handed, and they were in the rotation at the beginning of the year for this right. team. And now they're not getting anybody out in AAA. There's something, there's something really wrong with those guys. That they can't go to AAA. Uh, you know, Amir Garrett was three and six after a couple of really good starts. His ERa was 7.41. Stevenson is he's a read of 6.43 ERa. I mean, these numbers are just ghastly in terms of a pitching staff. And when you compare it to the Indians, or the Dodgers, or the Nationals, or even the Miami Marlins, for God's sake. I mean. The Reds are so much worse than any other team. You cannot go into 2018 without investing some money in the free agent market and grab a couple pitchers. You have to do it.
0: Mark, on May 1st, the Indians starting pitching had the worst ERA in the American League. As of yesterday, they have the best ERA among starting pitchers. In the American League. And they're the only team in baseball, Mark. I'm talking about Washington, the Dodgers, Boston, Yankees, everybody. They're the only team in baseball, Mark, that has three 12 game winners on their staff Carrasco, Kluber, and Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer has pitched lights out baseball for the last six ball games. He may have turned a corner, Mark, and if he has, and he relegates Danny Salazar to the fourth spot in that rotation. I I hazard to say that this rotation could rival any rotation in the history of baseball, and I'm not crazy about this. I know, you know, the Baltimore Orioles had 420 game winners. It was a different game back then, but boy when you look at this pitching staff, Mark, the top 4 if Bauer is on his game and Salazar's your fourth starter, Man, you've got lights out starting pitching.
1: Well, that's what excites me about the Indians getting into the playoffs because uh, unlike last year, if everybody stays healthy, and you know, I think even the Cub fans would have to admit, if the Indians' pitching staff was was healthy last year at the World Series, they would have won. And they almost won it anyway. They got down to the ninth inning of Game 7, and they almost won the damn thing. But if, if that pitching staff was in order... Uh, I think the Indians were the team to beat last year. I think they're the team to beat this year with that pitching staff. I think a team like the Indians, even in a, in a, in a, they, they wouldn't have a short series with the, the Dodgers, but I think they could beat the Dodgers in, in a World Series because of their pitching. Because they could match up Kershaw and they could match up a Duhar, a, 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 a Darvish. And so they can, they can offset those two. And then they're much stronger. In two, and you probably only go four deep in the series, maybe even three, three deep, depending on the off days. But uh, I, I think they are a team capable of beating the Dodgers, and nobody's beating the Dodgers right now. But in a short series, a seven-game series, you know, I think the Indians are the team to beat.
0: Yeah, it's just you know I've got a I've got a high school friend of mine that's been a Dodgers fan ever since we were in high school, and uh, he went to Cleveland and watched them play. He came down to Cincinnati and watched the Dodgers play. He went up to Detroit this weekend to watch the Dodgers play, and on Facebook, uh, when I was promoting last week's show about how good the Dodgers are, he said, you know, one of the guys said, you know, right now they're the best team in the National League. Well, they are, but you just mentioned it. Then come those pesky playoffs.
1: That's right. Yeah, and, and the, again, you, you look around the American League uh, at other teams, I and mean, the, the Indians have a five-game lead now, and... They're going to, I think they're going to coach. We've said this all along. I think they're going to win the division by 10 games. Uh, they're going to be able to rest their starters at the end of the last couple of weeks of the season, uh, give them some downtime, get them, get them rested, get them healthy. And, I mean, to go in and face that staff, I don't care if you're the Dodgers or not. I mean, the Dodgers could win 110 games this year. And that's, that's very, that's very not possible uh, it's or not realistic. likely, but it, it's realistic. They could win that many games, which puts them into an elite class of, of teams since the beginning of baseball. Very few teams have won 110 games. But they could go in against Cleveland and get swept. That's, that's how good Cleveland's pitching is. Will that happen? Probably not. But the, the point is the, the Indians have an unbeatable pitching staff and I'm so glad they picked up Jay Bruce. I think that was just a smart move. Uh, it, it gave them the depth even if Brantley comes back. Uh, it, it, I think it was just a brilliant move by the front office, and they should be commended for that.
0: Mark, Jay Bruce, since he's joined the Indians, is hitting over four fifty. He's driven in over 10 runs. This is just as, as a member of the Indians over the last 11 ballgames, Mark. This guy, why didn't anybody else want him in baseball? Why didn't anybody go after him with... Vengeance. I mean, for crying out loud, Mark. This guy had 29 home runs and 75 RBIs as a member of the New York Mets, and the Mets don't score runs.
1: Well, that, you know what somebody brought up the other day that by the end of the year, with his statistics, he could have over 40 home runs and he could drive in 125 runs, which would give him lots of votes as an MVP. Right. <laughs> but for who? <laughs> it's never happened before. Where? Somebody who could qualify for the MVP was traded, uh, you know, in July. And, and what happens if he goes crazy? And you said he has 10 RBIs for the Indians. He's got to have what? Vado's got 85. Uh, he's got to be close to that in, in right. terms of total, total, total RBIs. He could have 125 RBIs this year.
0: Yeah. M- Mark, imagine the Reds' lineup. I, I want to just imagine the Reds' lineup right now with Votto, Encarnacion, and Bruce. It'd be even better than it is now.
1: Yeah, the the Reds aren't hurting offensively, so I think what they've done, uh, the the big article today in the paper was, what are the Reds going to do with Suarez? Because Nick Senzel is just crushing it in double A. He's just killing the ball. He hit over 500 for the month or something. And he's going to be up next year. The question is, what do you do with him? And so they had, yesterday they had Suarez playing shortstop at the end of the game. And I think that may be something, I mean, talk about a lineup. If Sinzel produces as everybody says he can, uh, that, now you're getting into a, a crazy lineup. And that's assuming that they trade Zach Kozart. <laughs> and they could put Cozart or put, uh, Suarez or Kozart. Kozart has played second base. And can you imagine that lineup? Then what do you do with Scooter Jeanette? I mean, Scooter Chad, yeah. he hit, he's hit 21 home runs this year. He's got 75 RBIs playing part time. He can hit, have 100 RBIs this year. What do you do with him?
0: For a team in last place, 14 yes. games out.
1: That's right. It's just, mean, they're scoring runs hand over fist clearly enough to win a division. And their defense was number one. That they made three errors in a game uh, this this week, which is very rare for them. But I think even with that, they're probably in the top three in defense. And their bullpen is very good. I mean, Iglesias, I think, is 24 out of 25 in save attempts. He's got something like a 1.8 ERA. So you, they've got every piece of the pie except that starting pitching. And that's what's so frustrating. They, they could have made a run this year. If they just invested some money into starting pitching,
0: you know, back to the Indians, I heard somebody say last week that the happiest guy in Cleveland that for picking up Jay Bruce is Encarnacion. He loves having Bruce behind him in the lineup, and I don't blame him.
1: Oh, sure. And, and you know, Bruce, as a, I, am a big fan of Jay Bruce. I think he's he's a great guy, good player. But he would drive me mad sometimes because he would go in these streaks where he'd hit 550 for three weeks. Then he'd go 0 for 28 and strike out 17 times. I mean, and look so horrible at the plate that you couldn't do anything but shake your head, you know? And, but he seems to have calmed that down the last two years. He's, you know, he started off with the Reds last year and he, he was having a great year when the Reds traded him. And, you know, the Reds didn't get squat for him, and it's it's really ridiculous that they got nothing for Jay Bruce. Uh, the kid is, who they got is still down in the minor leagues, and now he's out for the year with surgery. So the Reds didn't get anything for Jay Bruce, and they did not get anything for um, Chapman
0: either. But Jay Bruce, he's got one more year left on his contract. He's... Not making that much money, Mark. He's making sixteen a year.
1: Well that that's imagine what you just said. Okay, digest that for a minute. Uh, He's making a lot of money. Uh but I think because he's in the American League now and he could play another ten years at the D H. He's the kind of guy uh he could put a first base, he's played first base now. Uh the Reds couldn't move in there because of Otto. But you know the he he could have another ten years in this league and and throw up some crazy numbers. He's hit thirty home runs, I think in what five years six years uh that that's he he's building up some big numbers
0: you know the interesting thing about him too, Mark, is in the off season, no matter what happens with the Indians as far as how they finish up this year, in the off season, they have got a decision to make with Carlos Santana. He's their only free agent, Mark. He makes $12 million a year. I mean, basically what the Indians have done is, if they let Santana go, they have signed Jay Bruce for $4 million. That's basically what they've done. And if they extend Jay Bruce for another, let's say, three years and add 4 or $5 million a year, they're still in the positive sign as far as I'm concerned over what Santana has done for this ball club. I think the Indians, with this move, really set themselves up in the offseason and took advantage of a situation where Santana, who turned down a contract a year ago to try to play out his free agent year and have a big year and maybe score some big bucks, I think maybe he bit off a little bit more than he can chew.
1: If you were the GM and you had to make a decision, who would you take, Santana or Bruce?
0: Jay Bruce. Yeah, I would yeah, Easily. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you said it right um, immediately, Mark. <clears throat> Jay Bruce, first of all, is a left-handed batter. Now, the Indians are loaded with switch hitters, okay, and Brantley's a left-handed batter. But I like having Brantley, and Carnacion and Bruce, three, four, five. And then you put Ramirez at six, right behind Jay Bruce. You can't pitch around any of those guys, Mark. You can't pitch around them. And then you got Lindor at number two. You can't pitch around him because you got Brantley. You can't pitch around Brantley because you got Encarnacion. Then Bruce. Then Ramirez. I mean, you've got a great lineup there that if they hit their potential, can score a lot of runs. And if you take Santana out of that lineup, he's just a dumb hitter, Mark. Yeah, he hits a lot of home runs. But, you know, I've said for the last three or four years, he hits a lot of home runs
1: at garbage time.
0: And I want somebody that's going to hit when the game is on the line. And Jay Bruce has done that.
1: Yeah, it was funny. Back in 2010, I was down there at uh, Great American Ballpark, sitting behind home playing with a friend of mine, uh, Vic, uh, that um, when Jay Bruce hit the home run against Houston to win the division. And, uh, that, that was really a neat moment for him because, again, he was one of my favorite players. He, he he's, he's a good guy. I mean, I think Cleveland fans are going to learn that Jay Bruce is just a good guy. He's a good family man. Uh, he's low key. He keeps his mouth shut. He plays hard. He plays good defense. Uh, there's not a lot not to like about Jay Bruce. And I, I think if he has the opportunity to get some rest in DH some of the time, which he would in the American League, I mean, this guy next year, in this year, you know, he's going to hit close to 40 home runs this year. And he's going to probably drive in 110 to 120 runs. I mean, that's a guy that would fit right in with Cleveland. And I I hope they would sign him. Uh, I hate to see him start just jumping around from team to team. But uh, I think he might give, quote-unquote, a hometown discount to a team that could compete for a world championship over the next two or three years.
0: Okay, Jay Bruce is 30. Listen to some of these stats, Mark. He's 30 years old. He came up at the age of 21 with the Reds. He had 21 home runs that year. Then 22, 25, 32, 34, 30, with 109 RBIs that year. Then he dropped down to 18, 26, 33 in 2016. Okay? That was his total. He had 25 with Cincinnati. He had eight with the Mets and he had 32, he's got 32 total this year. He had 29 with the Mets. He's hit three with the Indians and he's drove home 12 runs for the Indians. He's got Mark, he's got 273 home runs in his career.
1: That's 27
0: homers a year over 10 years.
1: Yeah. And he's only 30, as you said, he could play. He, J, Jay takes care of himself. He could play well into his 40s, like 41, 42 easily. So just say he only plays 10 years. Well, you double those numbers, and you're talking Hall of Fame numbers. You're talking over 500 home runs. (laughs) That immediately gets you Hall of Fame attention. And if his batting average was just a few points higher, you know he would certainly be in that mix of conversation. His batting average has always been down, and up until the last couple of years, he used to strike out a lot. But that has improved. I don't know if he's taking a different approach or what or he's just learning, you know, with age and experience he's getting better. But this guy, you know, I could see a lot of teams being interested in Jay Bruce and I hope Cleveland has the foresight if they let Santana go to pick Jay Bruce up and ink him to a long-term contract.
0: You know, his 162 game average mark over his career, 250 batting average. 32 home runs, 96 RBIs.
1: Yeah, that's big-time numbers. Yeah, Uh, it really is. is.
0: And the Indians got him for a A double-A right-handed pitcher that was pitching out of the bullpen that they didn't care about. That's what I mean. What was the rest of Major League Baseball thinking? There was nobody else that needed an outfielder?
1: Well, how many outfielders were traded at the trade deadline? Not a lot, actually. You're right. no, I mean, there was no other outfielders traded. So position players are not being valued right now as much as pitching. And ironically, bullpen uh, help is the number one thing teams are going after in terms of, of assigning free agents and at, at the trade deadline. They did not go after starting pitching or, except Darvish, uh, or um, position players. They just didn't do it.
0: Mike, uh, or, or Mark, I'm sorry, uh, Bradley Zimmer has really gone into a funk with the Indians after coming up. He, he, the league adjusted to him, and he hasn't adjusted back as of yet. I think what the Indians are going to do when Michael Brantley comes back is they'll probably put Brantley in left again, and then they'll put Austin Jackson in center field. And that that's quite a luxury to have, to have an Austin Jackson who's just going to slide into center field, Mark. And, and he's one of the best defensive center fielders in the game today.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. What I remember when Austin Jackson left Detroit. Uh, to, I mean, I, I know he was a good player, but they have never recovered from losing Austin Jackson. And no, they haven't. He, they just, they've been a team that's been spiraling downward while the Indians have replaced them at the top of the food chain. But... I just don't see over the next two or three years any team in the Central that is going to rival Cleveland. I mean, and if it appears the Cleveland. The thing I like is the Cleveland front office is going out and doing things like signing a Jay Bruce, and to me that's that's an exciting prospect for the next two or three years. They're on top and they want to stay there, and I, I think that should bode well for Cleveland Indians fans over the next two or three years.
0: Well, going into tonight's game with Boston, the Indians are 68-54. and They've opened up a five-game lead over Minnesota and a six-and-a-half-game lead over Kansas City. The Reds, on the other hand, Mark, they are in last place 53-72, 19 games under 500, 14 games back of the Chicago Cubs, who are just two games up on Milwaukee. Milwaukee just keeps hanging around and hanging around there.
1: Yeah, that, the offense on that team, that, that's another team I think should, should have gone out and got another starting pitching, or even helping the bullpen. They, they needed, their bullpen was weak too. Uh, Chicago, you know, they, they're, they're strong. I, but, you know, watching them and the Reds play in those four games, they're not the team they were last year. They're just not. They're not, they're, they're, they're you can pitch to them. Uh, their pitching, the starting pitching wasn't very good. And the Reds have some good offense, but still, uh, there's a, I think there's a big gap now between Cleveland and Chicago.
0: All right, Philip Irvin, what's the story with him with the Reds?
1: Well, I think people have a tendency to get too hyped over four or five games a guy played. Uh, he had a couple home runs in Chicago. He plays decent defense. But, you know, you have to look at his what's on the back of his baseball card in the minor leagues. I think he's what a 245 248 uh, lifetime hitter in the minor leagues. I mean I, I want to think the best and I I want to be encouraging and all that stuff. But he he I think he's got a lot to prove. Uh he, he's a nice little player, nice little addition. Uh but the Reds, you know, the, their bench this year has been has been very effective. So I don't know where they put him. They the Reds have a lot of outfielders and I hope they can take Some of those assets and turn them into starting pitching for next year.
0: Why did they bring Irvin up?
1: Uh, There was actually one of the pitchers got hurt. I think it was um, not Edelman, uh, Feldman got hurt, and they put him down. um, And and then Mesorocco got hurt. That was the other one. They put him on the DL. He's probably done for the year. And, you know, it's another tragedy in terms of injuries for a guy. This guy just can't keep himself healthy, but they needed a right-hand bat to replace uh, Miseraco, and they brought up um, Urban.
0: Okay, here goes my weekly diatribe on Miseraco. Just how long can they keep doing this?
1: Well, they can't. Uh, There's nothing and what's disappointing, I think, is even when he played this year, uh, he has lost a lot and in, in fairness to him, you can't sit out two years when you're a young ball player like that, and come back into the big leagues and contribute. He, he's hit six home runs this year. I think he's driven in something like 15, 20 runs, uh, hitting 208, 210, uh, and, and not playing good defense. So I don't know what you do with him, but I would be surprised if the Reds don't bring up, you know, they, they've signed a lot of catchers, actually, over the last two or three years. Maybe Maybe they knew something. But uh, he, he's—I he, don't think he is a guy you can depend on for next year.
0: Well, talking about guys that you can depend upon next year, you know, there was a rumor flying around that Justin Verlander was heading to Houston, and that had me just a little con, uh, concerned, Mark, because that Houston pitching staff, even though they've got the best record in the American League right now, is not that deep. They've got Dallas Keuchel. And that's about it. But you put Verlander on that staff, Mark. Uh, it's a pretty formidable staff. But they didn't want to pick up that big contract that Verlander's got over the next two years. And the Tigers, they're sticking to their guns. They're not going to take over any of
1: that contract.
0: They've said if you want Verlander, you're taking the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, what do they have to lose? I mean, they're not. If they lose him, they're going to get draft choices. But what's he making? Twenty five million a year. And yeah. he's not the same pitcher that he was three or four years ago. He's good. He would be certainly number one with the Reds. But he's not the kind of guy that a team is going to take a shot on when they're still owed $50 million. And, you know, he's pitched good. He's pitched well in some games this year. He's been overpowering. But there's been other games he's been lit up. And I think that that causes a lot of discern, concern for teams looking to round out their starting rotation.
0: Who makes more, Verlander or Kate Upton?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man.
0: <clears throat> That's
1: uh, Wow, yeah. I thought you meant <laughs> you were going to say Kershaw. Uh, Kershaw actually makes more. But, you know, it's interesting. Kershaw is giving up a, a lo- lot of home runs this year, and you wonder if something's going on with the ball uh, because this, this is hearkening back to the pre-steroid days Uh, story discovery days the number of home runs being hit this year and it has to be something different I mean the guys aren't juicing up anymore so maybe Major League Baseball said "Ah, I want you to tighten those balls up a little bit because everybody likes the home run you know chicks dig the long ball uh, that old story Uh, and that may be something to that I heard that on on ESPN the other night
0: well Giancarlo Stanton look at him 45 home runs
1: yeah, but you know, he could hit a beach ball over the fence. I mean, this guy is stupid strong, and man, he must be tested every day because he looks like something out of <laughs> some futuristic uh, road rage thing. Right. I mean, he, he is one big man. I'll tell you that. Remember, t-
0: remember, two years ago we thought the Reds were going to get him.
1: Yes, that's right. And uh, who was it? Bailey. There was I think Bailey
0: in- was the guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Bailey. Oh, God! we should have made that trade uh, yeah or or was it chap- no, it was Chapman It was Chapman because they wanted Chapman to, right. in, in in Miami that's what it was
0: that's right yeah and and the Reds wouldn't give him up. I think it was three years ago, not not two years ago, I think it was three years ago that they almost got him and and you yeah. and I got excited over the prospect because uh at that point in time, the Reds needed offense, they didn't have any.
1: Imagine what he would do at Great American Ballpark. Oh. It's scary to think. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, just, just look at what, what he could do. You know, Mark, okay. The big story this week was the protest by the major league umpires. First of all, I haven't really paid that much attention to it because Angel Hernandez was a part of it and who knew why. He probably didn't even know why he was putting that wristband on his left wrist. That's you know but nonetheless, what was this all about?
1: Well one I think it was Ian Kinsler uh made some comments about him being basically an idiot and shouldn't be in the major leagues. And he's right. He's right. (laughs) Yeah. Was
0: Kinsler wrong in that statement.
1: And the umpires were mad because Major League Baseball didn't come out in a stirring defense of the, of, um, of the umpire, Angel Hernandez. Well, everybody knows Angel Hernandez is the worst umpire in baseball. Why don't players have the right to say you're a crummy umpire? Why don't they have the right to say that?
0: Yeah. You know what I thought was funny? The amount that Kinsler was fined for saying it, $10,000, that's a pittance.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's his meal money. Uh, yeah, that's that's nothing. And I think that maybe they were sending a message to him. And you know, these umpires, th- this series, I think it was the Cubs series. Uh, I heard the the Cubs announcers. i was listening to WGN, w g watching WGN, and the Res announcers, and they both said it. They said that it was the worst home plate called game, a series of games they had seen all year. That pitchers were missing calls. They were calling balls that were strikes and strikes that were balls, and missing badly. I mean, some of these pitches, in, in one case, they had Fox track. This ball was right down the middle. You could not have walked it up there and put it in the catcher's glove, and he called, called it a ball. And another ball, well, and I forget who the umpire was, but there, there was another four or five calls where pitches were way outside not just a little bit you know on the black or outside the black they were they were two or three balls outside uh, the, the corner and they they called them strikes it, it was just outrageous and these guys have the have the audacity to question a ball player questioning that i mean it, it makes no sense to me
0: well and and i agree with you because we talked about the instant replay and and the Uh, jobbing that the Reds got last week on the instant replay on two consecutive nights, Uh, basically almost the same play. The Indians had the same thing happen to them just once over the past week where it was obvious that the situation was they had a runner coming home from third, the Indians threw it to home plate, Gomes tagged the guy out, and it was obvious that this guy was out and the umpires still considered him, well, I should say New York, still considered him safe. Uh, but, you know, Mark, I want to ask you, do you have confidence in Rob Manfred that he can take care of these problems?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, but but I think we've talked about this before. I think it's inevitable that there will be no umpires at some point in baseball. You're going to have all laser computer guidance and it'll be perfect. It, there'll be no mistakes. And th- that's what it, it's it, – the, the the failure of the umpires is that they're human. You know, it's not that they're bad guys, but it, it, I, I've umpired before, and you do miss calls. But these guys, beyond the missing of a call, if I've ever missed a call as an ump, or I've had umps say it to me when they've missed a call, hey, I, I may have missed that one. Uh, you know, I let them know. You know, I, I may have missed that one. And I, I, I was playing in a tournament down in Florida a couple of years ago, and the umpire called a, a, a ball. It was, it was clearly outside. And he called it a strike. And I just, I didn't say anything. I looked back at him like, what the, you know, what, what, you nuts? <laughs> you know? And so, I turned to him after the next pitch, which was a ball. And I said, were you going to on, on two strikes, would you make that a strike? that first pitch? He goes, probably not. So, you know, I, I don't mind if an umpire tells me what they're thinking or maybe they missed the call, and I'm okay with that. It's when they miss the call and they won't admit it. Because if they make a the mistake, okay, well, you, you blew it, so that's, that's fine. You know, <laughs> you're not a bad human being. But at least I know maybe on the next time that pitch comes, he won't call it a strike. Right. And that's... Well, you
0: I've heard stories, Mark, where umpires, especially in cold weather, in April, they have they have told the managers when they bring the lineup cards out to home plate before the ball game, "Hey, it's cold out here. Anything close, I'm calling a strike. So have your guys swinging away." You
1: know, it's, well, I, it's I, great. I
0: think I, that's a great warning.
1: Well, that's a great warning. That, that may be anecdotal. I, I can't imagine a professional major league umpire saying that to a manager. I've,
0: because, I've heard stories about that well, happening.
1: Maybe I don't know. I just find that hard to believe that they would basically say we're going to call strikes, balls, strikes. You know, we're we're we're, we're going to purposely miss calls. Uh, that because I tell you what, while that may have occurred, I'm not saying it didn't occur. Major league pitchers would never throw a strike. <laughs> they would throw everything two inches outside or two inches inside
0: because they know that
1: the umpires is going to call it a strike. Those guys are so good.
0: Somebody like Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox.
1: Oh God! If you, if you said that <laughs> to one of those guys, you'd never see a ball over the plate. You hardly ever saw it over the plate anyway. <laughs>
0: right. You know, I I go back to the '95 World Series where Tom Glavin never threw the ball over the plate at all in the World Series. Every, everything was two inches outside or two inches inside, and I still I still remember this day. Tim McClellan standing back there calling strikes.
1: Yeah, it's uh it happens and and some umpires have have really hurt the rest of the umpiring crew because they are so inconsistent. And I don't mind if if an umpire is calling a ball an inch outside on the outside corner calling it a strike. I don't mind that he does that if he does it every time. Then I know what to expect at the plate. And typically if they're giving, you know, if they're giving a wide strike on the outside corner, they're not giving a wide strike on the inside corner. They, they typically don't do both. But the bigger problem is the up and down. It's the high-low pitch that is awfully difficult to call. Uh, you have guys being, you know, the guys like Bado who crouch down. I mean, what do you, what do you call? Uh, and uh, so the same pitch to uh, Billy Hamilton, exactly the same pitch. It could be a strike to him, or it's a ball to, to, to Joey Votto. It's the inconsistency on the on the high low pitch, I think, it, which is even more problematic, because everybody seems every empire seems to have their own strike zone.
0: Well, you, you bring that up, Mark, and then then you talk about how you know I've always said you want to speed up the game. Call a strike a strike. You know, the the armpits to the knees. That's what a strike is. Now, you know, Pete Rose, he had the crouch. There's been a lot of players that have had the crouch. And according to the rule book, it's where your normal batting stance is. Well, you knew where their normal batting stance was. So it's, you know, nobody was going to go up there and crouch like a catcher. Nobody did that. I mean, but then, of course, Bill Veck brought in Eddie Guidel, the midget, and had him go up to the plate. Were you
1: around when that when that happened? Uh I was I think I was probably alive when it happened, but uh I remember seeing pictures of it. For those of you who don't understand, Eddie Goodell was a midget that um the general manager of the White Sox brought in as a joke near the end of the year and he walked in four on four pitches. And uh, who who was it? Who was the GM? Um the White Bill Sox. Guy, Bill Veck. Yeah. Vec as in rec. Uh, and he got, I don't know if he got suspended, but he was told that it could never happen again and and all that. It kind of made a mockery of the the game, but somebody said that they should have knocked Goodell down, (laughs) threw a fastball at his head. He'd never go back up there. No.
0: It'd be like Peter Dinklage going up to the plate. Do you watch Game of Thrones?
1: That's right. (laughs) That's right.
0: Do you watch Game of Thrones?
1: No, I do not, but one of our great fans, Linda Jordan, down in Dayton, Ohio, Fairborn, Ohio, actually. She's a big fan of that, and uh, so she'll know what we're talking about when she, we reference the midget.
0: A very smart woman. Maybe she'll send us an email as to who she thinks is actually going to end up being the king or the queen. The oh, she's queen. Got, I'm
1: sure she has ideas about all that.
0: Oh, well, anyway. and Somehow I can imagine Linda getting involved in that. I can just just see that. But anyway, nonetheless. Okay, so the Reds and the Indians, of course, they're they're playing for two different things towards the end of the year. Mark, we've only got six weeks, about six weeks left in the season, don't we?
1: Yeah, these baseball season seems to go faster and faster. And, uh, you know, clearly what happens over the next six weeks to both teams. I mean, the Indians could have a breakdown. They could have injuries and not make the playoffs. or or get knocked out in the first round. It it could happen. But this is a year that if you're going to win a World Series, the Indians are going through all the right moves. They're they're doing everything they can to win it. Uh, The Reds, on the other hand, they have no idea who their starting rotation is going to be next year. Uh, They've got a good idea what their starting lineup is going to be, because they're going to have everybody back except Zach Cozart. But you know what happens over the next six weeks, from the Reds' perspective, I, I think can be overrated. And I, I say that because a lot of teams have a great September, and they think, wow, we're going to be so good next year, and they don't make any changes. Uh, I hope the Reds don't fall into that trap. They've got to go out there and make a, a decision, a hard financial decision, that they're going to sign at least two starting pitchers that they can depend on next year if they don't we're going to be talking about the same thing next year.
0: Mark, I I'm, I'm going to say this and I want to get your opinion on it, but I'm dead set that I think the Reds need to bring up Sunzel in September and let him play.
1: Well, if they frankly if they do, I don't know where they're going to play him because offensively, uh, the Reds don't need any help and I just wonder if you're better off letting him go to you know, get a rest, go to winter ball, keep lifting uh, but I saw him play three games uh, on TV. This guy's is major league ready. I mean, he, he looks like a major league hitter playing against high school kids. He is a really, really good hitter. And, I, you know, he reminds me, if you, if you look at a comparison, uh, this guy I'm talking about, George Brett, was a left-hand hitter. But he has that body style. He's got that very, very good bat speed. He's got a great eye. He's developing power and this is a guy that could hit you 25 28 home runs a year and hit hit 290 to 310 he's solid on defense he can run a little bit so th- th- this this guy is the real deal and if Hunter Green can come through uh, he's going to get his first start here in the next week or so that'll, that'll be interesting to see but he he got up to a good start offensively dhing so th- there's some hope down there with hitting, but I, I see no hope with pitching. None. What
0: What about the idea of just telling Zach Cozart because he's been having the quad problems and the calf problems all year long? Just telling him to go ahead and go home, and uh, you know we'll talk contract at the end of the year. Not hold this against you, and just put Suarez at short and place at third through the month of September.
1: Yeah, I can I can see the logic behind behind that idea. My, my only concern is you bring up Sinzel, and he he doesn't do well. He tanks. And so what does that say about what do you do next year? Uh, is it going to ruin his confidence? I'd like to see him keep getting better and better, play some winter ball, he'll uh, probably go to the Arizona League again and tear it up down there and come into spring training just ready to rock and roll. Uh, Cozart? I don't see much reason why the Reds should sign him, because if they have Suarez, they can put him at shortstop, and probably get the same offense out of out of Suarez or better. They won't get as good a defense though. Suarez is just no. not, in my opinion, a, a, as good a shortstop as Cozart. So that's that's a big decision you have to make. But you look around that Reds lineup, man. You got some, you got some depth. <laughs> Pardon me and and their and their defense is good. There's a lot of things to be positive about. But David, it's all wasted breath if they don't get starting pitching. It's it's the end of the story.
0: And as far as the Indians are concerned, they're going to spend the next 6 weeks not only trying to wrap up the division but getting their pitching staff set up. For the playoffs. I mean, this looks like, you know, another year where the Indians are going to make the playoffs and they've got to get their staff set. Of course, they want to go with Corey Kluber. Boy, did we have a scare on Friday night when Kluber went down trying to cover first base and it looked like maybe he did something very substantial to his ankle and it turned out he just twisted it a little bit. And, but he had a tough time getting down. He tried, he, he stayed in for one more batter. And then they came out and and pulled him, but boy, was it a scare! But he's expected to make his next start against the Red Sox on on Wednesday night, I believe, is when Kluber is supposed to throw against the the Red Sox this week, Mark. So that I,
1: I'm excited about the playoffs this year because there's there's a lot of really really good teams, and I like I mean the Washington Nationals, I mean that that is a super team. So are the Dodgers. So are the Indians. I, I, I put the Clu, the Cubs a level below those three. But the, the, that's going to be fun in the National League. Uh, I don't know who's going to come out of there, Washington or Los Angeles. Uh, but you, in the American League, I mean, God, I, I don't know who I would put in the same class as Cleveland except maybe Houston. Uh, that, that's a very, very good team. I, I You know what? I think I just have a, a prejudice against them because they haven't done it yet. Uh, and, and I don't see them enough to really know how good they are. Obviously, they're very good, but you've seen them play probably more than I have. How do you think they line up against the Indians?
0: Well, the Indians have done a pretty good job against them. I think the the, the Astros' problem is the inexperience that they have in the playoffs, obviously, and secondly, I don't think they've got the depth in the starting rotation that the Indians or even, even the Yankees do. I mean, the Yankees did a nice job of going out and picking up some pieces and parts. Now, are they going to be able to catch the Red Sox? I don't know. I mean, you've got Tampa Bay in there that they're almost like Milwaukee, Mark. They're just really pesky and they're sticking around and maybe Tampa Bay can stick around long enough to make the playoffs. Who knows? But, you
1: know, Dave, I got a question. I got a question for you. I don't know if you've been following what's happened with the Yankees and Chapman, but they demoted him from the closer role and uh, they say his location, he's given up two runs in three consecutive outings, and that he's throwing hard, but his ball has, isn't moving, and his control in the zone has been off. And I didn't know if you'd heard about that, or what do you think about it?
0: Well, I think he threw a lot last year. I think he's tired. I think his arm is whipped. I mean, you look at what Joe Madden did with him in the playoffs last year and the World Series. I mean, he he used him in every opportunity that he could. When they picked him up from the Yankees, Mark, I think they knew they weren't going to sign him. So they just decided, kind of like what Milwaukee did a few years ago when they picked up CC C. Sabathia from the Indians before he signed with the Yankees. They pitched him every opportunity that they could. They were going to ride him like a horse, and I think that's what the Cubs did. And now uh, Chapman is is paying the dividends of that this year, and his arm is just whipped.
1: One other thing I wanted to cover, Dave, before we end here today, um, I read an interesting article in the paper in the Dayton Daily News yesterday from Hal McCoy, and he picked up on the issue of Joey Votto being the best player in Reds history. And he said, you know, I right now, article. statistically, do you see the article? Yeah. Okay. Uh, his argument was that he is, yeah. if not the best, he he yeah. will be the best because it's likely he's going to stay with the Reds throughout his career. I think that's what Botto's intention is. But if he plays another 10 years, his numbers would make him, I don't think there would be any argument, could be any argument, that he is the best hitter, certainly, in Reds history. And I I was happy to see him come out and say that. I've been saying this now for the last couple of years. But, you know, Joy, watching him play day after day, I've just never seen a tougher out in baseball than Joey Botto.
0: Well, and and uh, the streak ended to to it you know getting on base twice in every game. What was what did it end up twelve? No, twenty. Twenty.
1: Uh, yeah, he he, he wow. missed uh, Joe DiMaggio by one game. DiMaggio, or uh, not DiMaggio? Ted Williams was twenty one. Lotto was twenty. But do you see who the other two were? No. Barry Bonds and uh, who was it? Uh, big name. Um, somebody like Aaron or Mays or somebody like that. Wow. Uh, so you know, Vado's playing in rarefied air right now, and uh, because he doesn't hit forty-five or fifty home runs, he, people I, I think tend to underestimate what he's doing. He is. Reds fans are witnessing a Hall of Fame player in his mid, you know, mid prime. He is. He's really, really playing unbelievably well, and the the thing about baseball is it's not only what you do in terms of getting a hit. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do when you go to the plate. But Joey Votto doesn't make outs. That's what people, I think, underestimate. He doesn't make outs. He's he's four sixty eight on base percentage, I and mean, that's it's it's stupid. And he's sitting with power. He's got probably hit forty home runs this year, one hundred twenty five RBIs, probably have thirty doubles. He's already walked a hundred times. He's playing outstanding defense at first base, far better than he has played recently. So it's going to be very interesting over the next ten years to see the numbers he puts up, because in Red's history, he may never be surpassed.
0: (laughs) Well, the Indians have got a tough stretch coming up here, Mark. Over the next week and a half, they've got a four-game set at home with Boston that will go through Thursday night. Then Kansas City comes to town this weekend, and then they go to New York to take on the Yankees. Through the rest of the month of August, the 28th, 29th, and 30th. So, it's going to be a tough stretch for the Indians over the last the next week and a half. What do the Reds have coming up?
1: Well, they got the Cubs coming in to visit for three games. I think they have Pittsburgh over the weekend um, coming back. But the Cubs again give the Reds a good test. But the Reds have played pretty well uh, against the Central Division this year. They've owned the Pirates. They've held their own against uh, St. Louis. In fact, they have they've. Have a winning record against St. Louis, unusual for the Reds. Uh, they played Chicago tough. They 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 lost more than they won, but not you know it's not outrageous. So that that division, I think, is one of the weaker divisions this year in baseball. Uh, they they don't have uh, Chicago. I think everybody thought that they would win by fifteen games, and Milwaukee has surprised them. Milwaukee's played very well against the Cubs.
0: And we'll talk about it again next week. All right, David. Have a good week, Mark. Take care. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to you for listening here this evening. Don't forget to join us again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We'll talk about what the Reds and the Indians did this past week. We'll do it again next Monday night at 9 o'clock here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a good week, everybody.